Hello and welcome to another edition of the Romantic Truth Podcast. Please be advised that the content of this show is for mature audiences 18 and over due to the topics discussed. Please feel free to follow and like Romantic Truth on Facebook at facebook.com slash romantic truth. You may also listen to the podcast on anchor.fm slash romantic truth. Now, here is your host Jorzen. Hi everyone, Jocelyn with you here, Romantic Truth, Las Vegas. Now Jocelyn wrote in an interesting email. And she's out of Topeka, Kansas. She writes the following. I'm caught in a crazy situation right now. I'm 22 and I have two men that are madly in love with me. I've only gone on a date with both of them once. I met them on a dating app and I'm still trying to decide. Both of them are very nice. I've told them about each other, and I told them that I'm still trying to make a decision. My problem is, they're upping the stakes on me. The one guy is talking about buying me an engagement ring. The other guy is telling me I can move into his place. I'm not quite ready for either one yet, but I don't want to come off as if I'm some sort of mean person. Any ideas as to where I can go with this, where I don't hurt their feelings, and yet I won't feel like the bad individual? Jocelyn, Topeka, Kansas. Jocelyn, you're young, and it's nice, and I'm sure it's flattering, to have two men trying to court you. Here's what I will say. You have to weigh the odds of longevity here. Where would you see yourself, we'll say in three years, with either one of these men? What would be involved? Have you acquired the things you want to acquire in life independently before you were to get with one of these guys? For instance, the guy that you would move in with. Would he have objections of you going to school, continuing your education, or working on your career? What would be the time horizon when they would talk about having a family? With the other guy that's buying you the engagement ring, what would he be expecting? For you to marry him, you guys get pregnant about a year afterwards? Then how's that going to go? Are you ready to have a child? Are you ready to settle down? These are the things you have to look at. Let's just take it back from the emotions, because I understand that you don't want to hurt their feelings. But you also don't want to be an appeaser for their benefit only. You got to look at what you're going to get out of the deal. Now, I'm assuming that the guy with the house is probably older, and more than likely the guy with the engagement ring may be younger. I could be wrong. Don't know. Speculative assumption. I'm putting out there. But you got to do what feels right for you. But you just got to look at it objectively. Because in any case, these two guys are serious. And the one thing I would advise you not to do is to lead them on. 
You have to be honest with them. Let them know where they stand. Now, you have to ask yourself, which one makes you feel the most comfortable? Which one is not putting the most pressure on you? That might be the best option. I always get leery about people who are who try to push a relationship on you because usually it means that they have another agenda behind their zeal. The thing you have at your advantage is you're only in your 20s, so you have time. Did you fully utilize that time to be the best Jocelyn you could be? See, one thing that you don't want to do, Jocelyn, is this. You don't want to wind up like some of these women who will go take the first opportunity, go have the family, put everybody else before them, and then you're in your 40s or your 50s and you're talking about, now I need to live for me. I told you about when I was going to University of Phoenix, there was a lady that was in a nursing program and she was in her 60s. Talking about this was the first time in her life she could actually do something she wanted to pursue. This woman was almost 65 years old. Her nursing career window was very short. By the time she got good in her profession, she'd be ready to retire. But she had put everything on hold in her life in order to go at that point. Now, mind you, she had student loan debt. You see, going back for your education works when you can be the most productive and when the company is not looking to push you out the door. This is the reason why I stress to you younger folks, get your education while you're young. So that through your 30s and 40s, you're enjoying the benefit of your education. So by the time you're in your 50s, you're starting to pay down debt. You're starting to simplify your life a lot more. Your kids get grown and gone. You may want to pay the house off and retire somewhere or even stay in that house and retire comfortably. But the only thing you have to pay are the property taxes. But you want to have it in a way where you had a fulfilling life and not one where you're cramming everything you wanted to do in the end. That's the reason why I don't deal with a lot of women that have bucket lists in my age group in their 50s and 60s. No, you should have been doing that in tandem as you worked. Because you can walk and chew gum at the same time. So that by the time you're retired, yes, you could take trips. You could do things, but it's not a situation where you say, oh God, I'm free now, I can do everything I want to do. And you're 40 years older 
where you can't enjoy it as much as you could have when you were in your 20s and 30s, 40s. That's the difference. Because, see, what we fail to realize is that a lot of times you'll start a career. It'll be what we call a heads-down career. You're constantly working, paying the bills, worrying about this, worrying about that. And you're saying, well, someday I'm going to retire and I'm just going to lay back on the beach and things are going to be fine. Well, that may work for some people. But the majority of people will work all those years and realize when they retire, guess what? Cost of living is different. You're not bringing in the big salaries like you did when you were working. So you're making more money when you're working than when you retire. So this means that what's going to happen is you may have to reduce your lifestyle, curtail your spending. When you're working and at your most productive, that's when you're spending money on vacations. That's when you're spending money on a house. That's when you're spending money on cars and things like that. I'm not mean something flashy. I mean something that's very, very, that you can actually use. You don't want to be one of these people that are trying to go finance a house at 65 years of age with a 30 year mortgage. Your mortgage would outlive you in most cases. And true enough, it's tough to make it in this economy. Things are expensive now, far more expensive than they were in the past. But what we have to also realize is that you're going to have to also look for yourself. See, it's not like the older generations when I was growing up where the company looked out for their employees. And when I say looked out for them, I mean they had pension funds, they had health care plans and all this stuff within the corporation. And they took care of you from the cradle to the grave with the union jobs and all those things. You don't have that now. You got to be more proactive in your longevity. And you have to also be prepared just in case there may be a shift in the organization. I made it a point in many of my jobs only to stay there three years deliberately. And people used to get on me, my friends and family members, the older people, because they would say, well, why are you changing jobs? Uh, You're being inconsistent because they were accustomed to staying at one company for 20 years, 30 years. But the problem was these companies didn't want you to hang around. They didn't want that legacy cost of someone hanging around 20, 30 years. So you had to advance. And every job I took paid more than the last. Every job I took was more fulfilling than the last. Except the last job I had, which I didn't like. But, I will tell you, as you go through Your psychological wellness is important. I worked in large corporations where I saw people stressing out.
These people were in their 50s and 60s. Still had kids in college and they were worried about being laid off. Worried about getting the golden parachute. Still incredibly in debt. Trying to figure out how they were going to make ends meet. Some of them had no other identity but that job. If they lost their job, they'd probably want to hurt themselves. Because that's all they knew. I didn't want to be like those folks. Some couldn't afford to take vacations. They were too far in debt. And those that would take vacations, what we'd always hear when they came back was, man, I wish it was longer. Because they hated what they did for a living. And that's the most, that's the worst thing you could do. Is being in a job or professional career that you hate. And you're toughing it out. Yeah, your bills are paid. But are you fulfilled? Are you happy of what you do? Are you pursuing your passion? Or are you just going there working under duress? You know, when I was in my early 20s, I had a friend of mine that had a philosophy that he wasn't going to work for anybody but himself. And I used to talk to him about this. And I said, well, what industry were you planning on going to? Oh, well, I'm going to open up a computer business. I said, oh, okay. We had the same ideas. But he said, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to work on it myself. I said, well, what I'm choosing to do is to work for someone else. Go and get the educational credentials for it. So that when I go into that profession, because at that time I was in broadcasting. And it was dying because radio wasn't paying nothing. I said, the one thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to work and learn from others that are more proficient and more well-rounded and educated than I am and learn from them. And then I'll venture out and do my own thing. That's a waste of time, he said. Well, he went on and got this loan, loaded up his credit cards with all kind of debt. He opened up. Well, he thought that what he could do is just get one of these books from the library and everything was supposed to go by the textbook, as he thought. But it didn't. He ran into a lot of headwinds when it came to marketing his company. He didn't know who his demographic was. He didn't know anything about his customers. Years later, when I opened up, I knew my customers made anywhere from $35,000 to $100,000 a year. They lived in the suburbs. They had disposable income of at least $1,300 a month. Most of them had 2.3 children. And they bought a computer every 26 months. 
These were things I had to research and know about. The majority of them shopped at Walmart, not at Target. But you have to do the research, the due diligence. But he went on a feeling. You can't do that. Because a lot of times you'll mess up because you try to wear the hat on everything. When I went into the MBA program, international business and uh, professor asked the question, how many of you think that you can operate a corporation by yourself? Out of a class of 15, eight raised their hands. The rest of us did. And the first thing he said, you're prone for failure. After understanding the mechanics of globalization, transnational corporations, agency relationships, international tariffs, and all the rest of these other things, you're not going to be an expert in everything. So you have to delegate. And you delegate to professionals. And you do that for a reason. The price of success is not worth the price of failure. Or I should say the cost of failure. Now this friend of mine opened up, since I've known him, about 12 businesses that all fail within the first year. I was hired as a consultant one time for this lady that opened up a boutique in Santa Monica. The first thing I noticed about this place, one, it was small. Two, it was on the opposite side of traffic off the freeway exit, which was bad because they would have to go down so far, at least a mile, to turn around. And she didn't see a problem with that. She said, well, they could park on the other adjacent parking lot and they could come in. Well, she got her inventory in, a whole bunch of stuff. The store was so packed that you could barely walk through the aisles. But the problem was, it was overpriced. You could find the same stuff at Nordstrom Rack or at, at uh, Ross's. And she started complaining. And then she did the biggest mistake in the world. Grand opening sale. But what happens with that? People are only going to come there when you have a sale. But she was so happy. The store was filled. People were coming in buying things. Purses and stuff. And then when she went and had the regular business as usual, all that love she was getting in the beginning, she was averaging about three customers a day. 
And they would tell her, prices are too high. Why don't you set yourself on the other side of the freeway? Because coming off the exit, people can get to your store faster. No, that costs too much to move on the other side of the street. Well, what she did with the loan, bought her a Mercedes, put a down payment on the house, and that was her moment to shine. She lost everything. Actually, always tell me, I'm just tired of working for other people and making other people money. Again, your feelings. You know, whenever we did a project in IT, we had to do a thing called a feasibility study. First, is it possible? We had all the parameters and everything we that the uh, project champion wanted to have done. And the first thing I would ask the project champion, is this something that you want off the shelf that we modify? Or is this something that you want an application built from the ground up. Because there's a big difference in cost. And what's the window for the project? And what's the budget? Well, they would always say, well, you know, uh, do the feasibility study first and then we'll work on the budget. Then I'd show them, this is what it would cost if it was done in-house. This is what it would cost if it was outsourced to another firm. This is what it would cost if we bought something off the shelf, like a pre-existing application that we had to modify. I said, now with that pre-existing application, we'll have to pay licensing. We'd have to pay royalties. And then we'll have to pay seats for certificates for each end user over a certain amount. So they'd be fully aware. You know, some projects, they would say, well, let's go with in-house. Okay, if we go with in-house, we may not have some of the people that have the expertise. PHP, HTML, JavaScript. And then what they wanted to do was to try to retrain some people that only specialize in certain technologies. And they'd go, pay for the software, pay for all of the courses. And what we would wind up with sometimes are people that just weren't good and proficient in those areas. It was a waste of money. It would have been cheaper to contract out with someone and have them do whatever needed to be done or contract with a firm that specialized in whatever software we're working on. And then not be stuck with the liability of trying to train someone and then have everybody that had their expertise go for it. But one thing that you would always face in IT, you would have that project champion. A project champion is the person that's going to the board of directors or going to the CEO of the company or the CFO, the chief financial officer, and telling them how much money they need for this project and they're selling them on the project about how it would benefit the company and they'd meet with the operations manager and they would go and agree and they would go in there as a team and try to win these guys over for the budget 
And a lot of times that project champion would only start that project in order to get promoted. And once they got promoted, the one thing they wanted to do was kill the project because they didn't want to take the risk of it failing. Or they'd hand off the responsibility to someone else. Or they would scale the project down. So if it did fail, it wasn't too impactful. Failing in the sense of budget overruns. Failing in the sense of not meeting schedules. So, with the relationship, you have a feasibility study. Can it work? That's the question you need to ask yourself. You remember those four questions I always tell you? Who are you? What's your purpose? What are your strengths and weaknesses? What are your intentions? That's part of your feasibility study for the relationship. You're trying to set up your expectations, just like in a project. What is the purpose of this project? What is it supposed to accomplish? Should be able to be written in a sentence or a paragraph. Short one at that. We're going to consolidate all of the financial records into one system. I was contracted with companies where each location had their own way of handling accounting. Same firm. But everybody else had their fiefdom in their own different departments. So if you went to marketing, marketing didn't talk with sales. You went to sales, they didn't talk with accounting. You talk with accounting, they didn't talk with HR. And you had it where nobody was communicating. You even had different technologies. There was one company that we had as a client. One side of the company worked with Microsoft. The other one worked with Linux. And they were wondering why things were getting all fouled up. And so with this, you have to have good interview skills. Meaning that you have to go in, talk to the department heads, or talk to the person on the business side, the liaison, and specifically get the requirements of what they what they needed. Not what they wanted, but what they needed. Then you'd have to go back to the IT team and disseminate this information to explain it to them in technical terms as to how things were supposed to be done. Setting the expectations for the team. And one of the toughest things that I had to do as a business systems analyst was to get them away from the emotional side on the business side. Oh, can we have this? And can we have a different type of graphical user interface? These colors are pretty boring. 
can we have uh, an extra button here for this? Or can we get access to this department? That kind of thing. Something that was out of the scope of what the project entailed. And of course, they'll get upset, contact my boss. Well, he's denying me this. The boss will say, well, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. The specs are laid out in the project. And it was tough. Then you had to deal with budgets, you had to deal with scheduling. And God help you if you had to go overtime. Oh boy. Oof. That was a tough one. Just like you have to manage a project, you have to manage a relationship. Some of you are saying, oh, well, man, that's too damn involved. You don't have to do all that. My relationship with my so-and-so is fine. Well, that may be the case. But guess what? Your case is not the only one in this world, is it? Some of you are single. And these are the very things you don't want to face in a relationship, the work that's involved. So you become social butterflies. You become the people that like to just party and hang out. And then you get upset. When people see what you're about, they don't take you seriously. They won't take you seriously for a relationship. And you're wondering, why the hell not? It's because you haven't done any work on yourself. A lot of you ladies are thinking that you can put on a miniskirt and go out there and grab any man. You may get him, but will you be able to keep him? That's what you have to ask yourself. Some of you fellas, it's the same way. You can make all the money in the world you want to. But can you keep her? You see, the one thing that you have to remember about a relationship, a person should always have an equity stake in it to fight for it, to work for it. That person that's hands off, they're more than likely looking for a better deal than you. That's the reason why they're not so vested. We'll talk more in a moment. The only thing keeping him from no, shooting the shot is that black women are not his friends. Do I have to be the one? Be okay, I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna so, say it. No, I'm gonna yeah. say it because I don't think they gonna hear it if it, maybe a woman don't say it. So I'm gonna say it. Saying that you are not his preference, I think, is the nice way of saying that he prefers not black women because most black women are combative and argumentative not to say all but a lot of us are and it comes with that independent spirit that destiny child told y'all to have right before beyonce went off to got got married i come to find that most men don't want to deal with the headache of telling women that that's what it is because of the combativeness and arguments that comes with saying this. I don't care if y'all call me a pick me. I don't care if y'all say whatever y'all want. 
But for the women who get it, you will get it. Now, do other races have arguments? Yes, they do. However, they are not trained in it as a lot of us are. White women, other cultures, they have been trained to honor the position of the male in the family, of the husband and, and the fatherhood. The mass level of us didn't grow up with a father either in the household or even around. So we wasn't trained in that. So what they're really saying is, you don't know how to respect me. You don't listen to me when I try to tell you what I want and you argue me and invalidate what I'm saying. So I'm going to do this route because it's easier than to try to get a whole race of women to change and understand. Now, this is not all men. This is not all women, but it's a quite a lot. And I'm speaking from experience. I was just as combative on the feminist train. The feminist movement tricked us all. So did Black Lives Matter. But that's another topic. But take what you want. Leave what you don't. But don't say ain't nobody trying to tell you. At the very least, examine it. Hi everyone, Johnson with you here. Romantic Truth, Las Vegas. Now, the young lady did have a valid point in what she said. A lot of women think that it's about the hair the skin color, the eye color. It has very little to do with that. It has more to do with behavior, character. These are the elements that many men look for in women. I told you ladies, men will date you no matter what you look like, as long as you're female. They will find a way to date you and enjoy the moment in dating you. It will never be a situation where they will look upon you in disdain, disgust. Now, let me clarify one thing. Remember we talked about universal acceptance and how that's a myth and a fallacy. There's not too many people on the face of this earth that can be accepted by a majority. Let alone talk about those that can be accepted in general by a unanimous number of people. Now, you have a large group of people that will say someone's attractive or someone's fine, someone's handsome. But here's the thing. They don't have carte blanche to just walk around and just expect that from everyone. That's a good thing about it. So therefore... A guy may say that you're not attractive to him. Another guy may come back and say, hey, you know what, you're the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. But here it's, a, it's, a, it's incumbent up to you ladies not to beat yourself up in a negative way with doubt and a lot of other things. Because here's the thing that's good for you. You have more things at your advantage than at your disadvantage. That's the good thing you have to keep in mind. And you fail to realize this sometimes because maybe you didn't get the guy you wanted. Maybe you, the opportunity didn't work out. Maybe your romantic uh, schema that you had set up didn't work out for you as it should. Now, there's a lot of possibilities. But here's the thing that you have to keep in mind also. 
You're entitled to be happy. You deserve to be happy. There's no rule, law, or governance that says you should not be happy or you should be miserable. It doesn't exist. But everything starts with you. That first step, you. Your first step forward, you. No one else will make the difference. And the reason why you're going to make the difference is because without you, nobody else will ever see that potential in you. You got to do it first. See, here's the way it works. And this is not one of those uh, motivational speeches or nothing like this. This is just something you really need to think about, seriously. Because I don't know you personally, so I can't go and get into your individual lives and heads. But what I'm just telling you are things that are just kind of fundamental. I'm thinking out loud. That's what this show is like. And here's what this means. See, the way you perceive yourself, the way you treat yourself, people observe that, and they treat you accordingly, and they perceive you accordingly. So you don't have to be that type of individual. We know you don't. You can be yourself. We know that for a fact. And the thing you have to do that's incumbent on you is to be the best you you can be. And the way you start that is by the way you treat yourself. Loving yourself. You don't have to gaslight yourself. You can tell the truth and still be happy with who you are. Comfortable within your own skin. There are going to be people out there that are going to bully you, that are going to call you ugly, that are going to call you fat, freckled, you name it. Doesn't matter what race you are. But here's the thing. That's the security team in the background, folks. But here's the thing. We have to come to another realization as well. And that is, they cannot be judge and jury on you. cannot allow someone to have that much power over you. That's the reason why you young ladies that are on social media worried about your image, worried about being fat shamed and all the rest of these other forms of shaming that we improvise and make up. We have to come to a realization. They're on the other end of a connection somewhere else in the world. They don't know anything about you. They never met you before in many cases. And they can only offer their ignorance in the form of an opinion, can they? That's all they can do. I'll give you an example. You know, with what people write into me on this show, the only thing I can do is respond to them out of my own blatant ignorance. Because they've only told me about their situation, but guess what they haven't done? They haven't invited me in their bedroom, they haven't invited me in their home. So I can only go by what they tell me in email. So we all have a degree of ignorance in life, in general. Getting to know someone, you don't know anything about them, you're ignorant. But see, what we try to associate things with that we have no control over is personal willpower. The person's going to be willfully ignorant. Well, there's some people that will. But the majority of us don't. We're just innocently ignorant. We have to learn new things. 
And there's nothing wrong with being ignorant and learning. There is something wrong with being ignorant and proud. And that's the distinction. So now, let's look at a few things here as well. If you don't give that person that power to make you feel bad, guess who controls your emotions and your feelings? You do once again. See, as long as you give them that power where they're going to have you to react, that takes away your power right there. See, here's the thing you got to remember about a deliberate thing that someone does. They're waiting for a response, right? They're anticipating the response in a short period of time. Their provocation took place, and they're waiting for you to counter it. So what do you have at your disposal to leverage? Their anxiety. You realize how many ways you could go with this. Take, for instance, we'll look at Japan when they attacked Pearl Harbor in World War II. Now, after they made that attack, what was the one thing they did not know? Besides not knowing where the hell the carriers were. They also did not know what the retaliation would be. And they anticipated that it was going to be soon. But here's the thing. When you have time on your side, and you have a decision matched with that time on your side. The other person is weak and vulnerable waiting for your response, right? You know, a lot of you ladies talk about how men are not so sensitive. Well, you know how we are sensitive? You know when we take you out on a date and we don't know whether or not we were good enough on that date for you? Who has the power there? You do because you know the answer. You know the answer whether there's going to be a second date or not. We don't. We're waiting for it. That's how power is structured, folks. That's how it's utilized. It's leveraged. But never allow yourself to get to a point where someone who does not have the right, the authority or your permission to have that power over you. Don't let them to take it. Somebody on the internet is trying to make you feel bad about yourself, telling you, you your eyes are too far apart, or your ears are too high on your head, or your neck is too long. What benefit would they ever be to you? Now, you have some people that will go and take negative comments and things and make it motivation. That's only good when you can convert that from a constructive criticism to something positive involving actions that lead to positive reinforcement to better yourself. It does you very little good to take on that dead weight and argue and debate with them. You notice on this show, I don't debate with anyone. There will be no debates on the show. Because the thing you have to remember is that person's opinion, belief, is valid to them. Guess what I'm not here to do? 
be a Messiah and try to change anyone. I'm not here to convert you to the way of the cloth. As I told you as listeners, you're all leaders. Yes, you are subscribers to the show, and I appreciate that. But here's the one thing I want you to do is to think objectively. Think for your best interest. Some of the tools that I provide on this show are just for you guys to use in certain circumstances, certain things to think about. Your mind is something that's going to be with you longer than your body. You need to utilize it to the biggest and fullest effort of your capacity. That's what makes a heartbeat, put blood through our bodies. That's what interprets things that we see. And we have to utilize that. In a nation where that's not stressed so much, education is not really looked upon so highly. They've been always motivated to go out there and be a working Joe or a working Jane. Chasing the American dream. I would say before you taste, before you chase, taste, really, before you chase any dream, the first thing you should do is have what is called feasibility. How would it be feasible for this dream to come true? Is it feasible? This is coming from a Piscean, folks. And let me tell you, we have the zodiac sign, of course, of being dreamers and all that. I'm a practical dreamer. I, if it can't be done, and I have worked it out, and I don't see where it could be feasibly done, it's only just a dream. It's only just something in my imagination. So therefore, it doesn't have validity because it can't be real. And then what happens when you become accountable on your aspirations, guess what happens then? You start to complete things more thoroughly. You don't start projects and then not finish them including relationships. You actually go through the process and complete them. It gives you a sense of confidence, pride, sense of self. And it motivates you to do more and to challenge yourself even more. And when you're in that mindset, when you're challenging yourself, guess what you're not doing anymore? You're not afraid of failure. You're not afraid of setback. You're not afraid of rejection. just take it and you go forward you don't stop and say oh my god I face rejection I'm scared no so if that person being rude to you or making you feel bad like I told you no matter what only have people around you that make you feel better about yourself and can actually relate to you the last thing you need is somebody that's just there to tear you down you can go on any street corner, go right out your front door. I guarantee you, you'll find somebody that'll be willing to tear you down. It's not hard to do. And it's even worse when you're in a relationship. 
Or as the guy on the TikTok video said, worse sir. That was his word. He made it up. But this is what you have to look at. Now, another thing too. I know Black Lives Matter, and this is a little bit off topic, but I'm just going to address it briefly. I know Black Lives Matter had the best intention. But the reason why so many people are frustrated with that group in the black community, besides some of the improprieties that took place, they didn't do enough. We got to stop killing each other's black people in our communities. Makes no sense. There are even more people that would like to kill us just for being black. Why the hell are we doing this to ourselves? Warn a moment, folks. some of you who choose people in your lives based on that person being the lesser of two evils. Therefore, you have to stratify your commitment and loyalty to them. You see, there's no one on the face of the earth that I wholly trust 100% not even including myself. 90% is all you're going to get out of me. you got to work for that 90%. It's very difficult to get. The average person will get about 30%, maybe 40 if they're lucky. The reason being for this, the incentive for a person to fulfill their agenda over anyone else is very high. That's part of us as humans. So what you may have to do is to lower your expectation of others in order to find comfort in yourself. You know, you've seen people where a person commits to do something, they don't do it, and the other person falls apart because they were depending on that individual. See, what you have to remember, we have a false sense of uh, competitiveness in the United States, for the most part. We're trying to outdo each other. You're basing it on race, you're basing it on class, you're basing it on social status, prestige, job, career, you name it. And at the end of this whole race that you're trying to run in life, nobody's going to give a shit. You're going to have one day where people are going to acknowledge you. 
company put you in the ground. And afterwards, you'll be forgotten. It'll be nothing more than a memory that maybe comes up in a conversation once in a while, if anything. And after that generation's gone, you're totally forgotten, as many of the generations that we've had before us. So, what are we doing? We're living in this time and space where we're trying to stay relevant. Spending most of our time trying to preoccupy it with being busy so we don't think about aging, so we don't think about becoming socially irrelevant at some point where we're no longer of any concern to our friends or even sometimes our partners. We become obsolete. So we fight like hell to stay relevant. We fight like hell to stay in the now, in the know. We're like a celebrity that's dealing with a dying career. Trying to be seen everywhere. Well, there's some harsh facts we have to face. Some of you try diligently to find good people to surround yourselves by good relationships. Some of you are successful. Or some of you may be as successful as you choose to be because you really don't want to look and see what's under the hood of some of the friends you're dealing with or some of the partners you've chosen. So you want the cosmetic view of it. I like that car. It's clean. The tires are shiny. But the engine may need an overhaul, but you don't care bring that person in your life anyway because you don't want to be alone. You don't want to be lonely. And as that person does not work out to be the best choice for you and a partner, you start to make excuses for them because you don't want to be wrong. Being right and having your fucked up philosophy to be the call of the day is what's important to you. Because what you don't want to do is to face the realities and the facts of what you're dealing with. Because you've gaslighted yourself so long in this bullshit relationship that you've been in that you've gotten to a point now where it's normal. And you're trying to make it normal. Even though you know better, you lost several brain cells in order for it to work. And you go through this mess. And inside... You're unsettled. Your nerves are up. Angry. You see, no one deserves to be anyone's whipping boy or whipping girl. Let's make that clear. If they have problems and they can't deal with the problems internally, they're going to try to externalize them on you. Why are you with that person? They don't show you enough respect in order to keep their own emotional garbage to themselves. So that should give you an idea as to how you're valued in that relationship. You know, I've been angry in many relationships that I've dealt with. But you know what? It was self-directed anger. Why is that? Yes, I'm upset with some of the disappointments and some of the actions of that other person, but I had to also realize I chose that person. So the first person I would need to be mad at is myself. Good night. But we feel good when we can point the finger at the other person, make them feel less than. 
Aha, I transferred my fucked up feelings onto you now. Now you're stuck with the burden. For what? You're still going to be celebrated on that one day. But you'll be totally relevant. And you'll be forgotten. Would it really matter who you hurt, how bad you made them feel, and how good you felt in that particular segment of time that won't even matter to anyone, not even anything on the face of this earth? Are you that self-important? Makes you think, doesn't it? We all have a sense of narcissism about ourselves. That's what keeps us going. But you also need to know your limitations. You also need to be responsible for your own emotions and your feelings. It's not anyone else's responsibility to feel the way you feel. And therefore, leaking that shit onto someone else like stinky garbage juice is not the answer. So when you can express how you feel to a person by explaining it to them instead of making them the object of your angst and your malice, you'll probably see a more constructive solution for the two of you to get along. You can start a dialogue. But you can always choose to go about it the way you have been. I wonder why people are walking out of your life so readily. Why people aren't calling you. Why people are not even associating with you. Why people are distancing themselves from you. And it's not because they've done anything wrong. It's not because they're bad people. None of that. It has to do with you. Your friends are not fucked up. You are. See, what people like to do is set traps and create uh, these gotcha moments to make themselves feel better. And as I've told you before, an insecurity and an addiction are things that people will protect at all costs. At the cost of you feeling bad, at the cost of cutting you down, at the cost of making you depressed about yourself. But it's not your job to take on that. Somebody says you're ugly. It's not your burden to take on that opinion from them. They can say whatever they want. Free speech. But that speech doesn't have to apply to you. And that's what you have to realize. See, what they say out of their mouths, they want it to affect your mind and your heart. Pretty much like I'm doing now, by talking to you. You're thinking about some of the things I'm talking about now. But the difference is, I convey to you all. Think for yourself. Consider what I say. But it's up to you to make the choices for your own personal lives. I'm not here to indoctrinate you. I'm 
unlike many other people that you encounter in your lives who are, telling you you should pray more, telling you you should go to church, telling you you should do more in order to prove your love to them. We have the sense of entitlement that we are supposed to have good in our lives. Well, that's an optimistic view that we would hope to have. Some do, some don't. And we put a premium on the wealth, the comforts of life associated with that wealth, not the happiness. And we think that that's gonna be the cure-all for all of our ailments. I was reading an article several years ago about this lady that had treated her aunt very poorly. She was her niece. And when it came down to the aunt passing away, she had left her last will and testament. And all of the aunt's uh, siblings and other relatives thought for sure this young lady wasn't going to be left with anything. Contrary to aunt, left her everything. Even though this woman mistreated her, took off and went to other towns and stayed with men, leaving her aunt there to have call other people and pay for them to take care of her while she was in her absence. But the aunt forgave her. Well, this young lady got this money and was getting ready to start out her new life with her new man. Unfortunately for her, she only had to enjoy that money for about a month. Tragedy struck. She drowned. On one of her exotic vacations, she's out swimming along. And she never came up. The family had to fight over the money afterwards. attribute that to karma. Who knows, could be. But one thing is for sure. Just because you have an advantage point in your life where you think things are going to come around, life owes you nothing. Be thankful for every day you get. Sometimes we look at tomorrow being better than today. Sometimes today will be better than tomorrow. You know how many of you talk about how you were doing this in your 20s just like I do? Those days were better than today, weren't they? In many ways. Carefree, young, attractive. And you say, well, you know, I got the wisdom now in in comparison to the youth. Would you rather be healthy and naive or wise and old, healing and aching? Kind of interesting. We sometimes never get the benefit of having both at the same time. 
things. That was one of my goals when I was a younger person. That's the reason why I used to listen to a lot of older people. And I used to talk to a lot of people. I wanted to be young and wise. Because I used to see these people talk about if they had known back in the day when they were young. And all, those, all that wisdom doesn't come necessarily from having to go and get bitten by every snake in the, in the road. Sometimes you can pick up wisdom from people just by observing and listening. And I learned that at an early age, and it helped me immensely in my life. You younger folks that listen to this podcast. If you get to a point where you can let your ego kind of sit down a bit, you can let your zeal for trying to impress someone sit down a bit, and maybe listen and observe a little bit too. Take that wisdom into your later years with your youth, and it will help you immensely. This is why I share my experiences with you to help you in that capacity. My dad couldn't tell me about half the stuff that I had to go through he lived in a different generation. He gave me some pearls of wisdom that helped me along. But for the most part, he had never been exposed to dating a single mom that had a gun in her hand talking about, you're going to stay with me or else. It was a whole different whole society. So, What you're dealing with, folks, is a situation where you, again, have to make the decision. I keep stressing this a lot. And a lot of you don't like making decisions. Some of you want just the default to just make the decision for you, whatever it is, and be satisfied with it. You're not living, you're existing. That's one of the toughest things about aging. Why do you think all these people are going out there trying to look young? Going dying their hair and doing all this other crazy shit in order to feel younger. They're doing it. Because they're fighting being irrelevant. They're doing it. In order to retain some modicum of relevance in society. They don't want to fade away. you're going to encounter a lot of people in your lives that really have no purpose for you. Not even to make you feel good. Not even to enhance the experience of life. They acquired you to share their problems. And that's it. 
This is the emotional dumping ground I'm trying to help you avoid. It doesn't matter whether they have a disorder, whether they have whatever alphabet soup of conditions they say. It's still your life to live, and you can filter based on that. Because there's a lot of bullshit you don't have to put up with, whether you're related to them or not. Set your boundaries and your standards and hold firm to them. Because if you don't, things can come pretty crazy over time. So you got to be able to do that. Again, This is just something for you to think about. It's up to you. Because I told you, on this show, we have listeners. We have subscribers. We have leaders. That's each and every one of you. Guess what we don't have on this show? Followers. Because you all should be leaders by now in your lives. Of your own destiny. No one else's. The other thing to keep in mind, besides that, don't forget to follow us on facebook.com backslash romantic truth. I thought I'd get your ass there. Folks, thank you for listening. Sally Ann writes the following out of Lincoln, Nebraska. I know this sounds like a stupid question. I'm 43 years old, and I shouldn't even be writing you about this subject. I'm afraid to bring it up to my friends because they're going to ridicule and laugh at me. There's a guy that I really, 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 damn, how many really should put in here? Really, really, really crazy about. 35, he's single, college educated, and he makes pretty good money. I've tried talking to him before, and we got on the subject of relationships, and he said that he would never fall in love with anyone. I find that hard to believe. Is it true that a man gives me the opportunity, I'm jumping on it. Sally Ann, Lincoln, Nebraska. Sally Ann, you're trying to force something on somebody. This never works. See, you're forced your effort to get into that man's life. You may see it as an opportunity to use you because you're going to lower your standards and boundaries and values for him. This is how most women get taken advantage of in relationships. Because they're in a trance of love. And while you're doing that, he's exploiting you. He's having sex with you, doing all kinds of things with you. And he's not uplifting you. Because the reason being is that he's letting you do all the work. To make yourself feel proud to be with him. He's not doing the work to make you feel proud of being with him on his end. 
That's the difference. I'm willing to bet, and I don't know you from anybody else on this planet, that you probably read romance novels and love the Lifetime Channel and all that good stuff. You're looking for that happy ending. This man is younger than you. And the other problem he's going to have, you're almost 10 years his senior. 43, he's 35, I guess. And here's the problem I see with this. What happens when you start getting older? What if you have to go into a nursing home before he does a decade before? It's a hell of a thing for your partner to come visit you in a nursing home. Or will you be fortunate enough to be that woman that he's going to take care of at home? That's when you got to depend on your friendship and the integrity thereof, it, right? You got to depend on your relevance to him. Well, if you're just going with this on a physical sense, he may be doing the same thing because you're a sexy middle-aged woman that's oversexed. But you got to think about the long term. See, one thing that we have to look at, and we have to not kid ourselves about relationship, and all of us need to slap the bitch out of ourselves when we think about this. And that's the fact that as we get older, Things are going to get a little grim for us. So we have to figure out a way, psychologically, of making it more palatable. And I don't think you've thought about that because you're living in it now. But it also does you well to think about the future. Yes, eventually we're all going to die. But on that trek to death, we don't have to be miserable. And we don't have to gaslight ourselves either. As I told you, in the South, we used to hear a lot of people, old people, talk about they can't wait to meet their maker and all that shit. Oh, they say that until they really get sick. And then they want to hear everybody pray for them. They form prayer circles and all that other shit, but that's really for the benefit of the person that's praying. Even though they're sending the sentiments for the person to get better. But they're also saying, Lord, please don't let this shit happen to me. Let's face it. We look out for our best interests. Even of looking out for others. So, you can try forcing yourself on this man if you want to. Sadly, I am, but I'm going to tell you one thing that's going to happen to you. He's already told you no. It can only get worse for you as you try to push harder. And you're going to be one of these women. He may hang around with you until you're about 45. If you're lucky. Then he doesn't see you as his girlfriend. He sees you as a piece of ass that he used to hit. 
younger more than likely. Now, if he was into older women, oh, it'd have been the reverse. He'd be chasing you, but apparently he's not. And okay, you'll get mad about what you didn't get or what you wanted so badly. Who cares? Oof. Josh writes the following out of where is he from? I'm not pronouncing this word. He's from Tennessee. Whatever the hell that city is in Tennessee. Alright. Josh writes the following. I met this girl a couple of months ago. I've been dating now for about a month. Seem to be going pretty well between us. My parents don't like me. I went over, had my best suit on, thought that I'd fit in. Her father took me outside, we talked for about an hour and a half, and he told me that he didn't think I was good enough for his family. Never been told something like that before. I guess I'm 18 and still naive. I really felt bad about it. She's been trying to cheer me up, telling me not to worry about it. It takes a while for the family to warm up. Her mother's birthday came up, so I went and bought her a nice gift. A box of chocolates. And don't you know she sent those chocolates back? I guess I'm not supposed to fit in. And I've been trying. I've even talked to my mom and dad about it. Dad is of the opinion that I should never speak to that woman again. Mom has told me the same, but my heart tells me differently. She still encourages me to go and try to make good with her family. What's happening here? I would really like to know. <sighs> Josh, I don't know what city you're in in Tennessee. I'm not going to try to pronounce his name, but it's a Native American name. But here's the thing I will tell you. She's actually using you as a vehicle to get her point across to the family. That's what's happening here. You're her Trojan horse to let her family know that she wants to be independent and make her own decisions about a man. She's telling you to hang in there because you're her shield for that purpose. I'm willing to bet you she already knew that her dad and mom would not like you. So in this case, no matter how nice you dress, no matter what you wear, no matter what you say, you're not liked and you're not wanted. This is how black people feel sometimes when they go into an interracial relationship and they face the family. You're doing it and you guys are the same race. So that tells you right there, discrimination is <laughs> based on the individual. Now if you were a black man, she probably wouldn't even brought you home at all. Chop this up as a lost man. Don't let that woman manipulate you into doing her dirty work. You let her do her own shit, 
and you go and find you a woman that really gives a damn about you. Because if she cared about you, first of all, she wouldn't even expose you to that. It's someone that really cares about you. She cares about her agenda to get even with her parents. That's all that is. Randy, out of Buffalo, New York, writes the following. Man, thank you for your podcast because some of the things you talk about most people don't even address in life. I appreciate that. I'm running into a problem right now. It started off kind of simple, but now it's gotten worse. So far, my girlfriend has had four family members in different intervals stay with us. One stayed with us for a couple of months, the other stayed for six months, the other stayed for five months, and the other one stayed for two years. It's the one that stayed for two years that was the biggest problem. She was 19. I'm 36. My girlfriend's 37. And this girl had a bad habit of walking around the house naked after she got out of the shower. I had my girl tell her about that a few times. And I thought everything was done. thought everything would be okay. Well, this girl went and told her mother, my girl's sister, that she was being treated like a child. That started an argument. That argument wound up spilling over to me. And I want you to imagine having three women angry at you over the same thing. I think I've gotten into a situation where blood is much thicker than water. And my woman has changed a lot in her perspective on me since those two years. She's now accusing me of sleeping with her niece. I've never made a move or anything on this girl. But to let the girl tell it, she told her aunt and she told her mother. comes down to me being the bad guy. So here I am trying to plead my case with my girlfriend about not sleeping with this girl and she's telling everybody in the family that I did. The irony was she called me today and told me I told you I was going to get you back didn't I? I didn't quite know what that meant. And for some reason, I would like for you, if you could, take your time with this, sir. I appreciate it. To tell me what's going on in this situation because I'm totally lost. Why would she contact me and tell me something like that? Josh. Josh, the reason why she told you this is because she was flaunting her pussy around you and everything, trying to get you to fight, and you didn't. And so, her ego was bruised. And she said, well, you're not going to ignore me. So, naturally, she perpetrated a lie with her family. 
with her mother, with your wife, your wife or girlfriend. And so now what has happened, you're the bad guy. She did this deliberately to get you. This is one of the reasons why, fellas, I tell you, when it comes down to these teenage girls, if you got a woman and she has a teenage daughter that's not well-behaved and know her lane, know her place in the household, and that mother's permissive, and that daughter is trying to flirt around with you, you better not let her move in your house and don't move in with her. Because that girl is going to want you to fuck her. If a mother has not given her the values and standards. A many man has gone to jail for this shit. Don't do it. Just don't do it. See, here's how most women who are responsible single moms with teenage kids will handle something like this kids will be on a certain level much lower level of interaction with the adults she's going to establish that up front that upper level in the relationship is only for her and her man he has to go through the mom to talk to the children that's the way it should be girl, that daughter has free reign to talk to this man anytime she wants to, where it's those conversations where she can tell him about mama's activities and what mama does and what mama used to do you have to watch that because she could be laying down the framework for trying to make a move on him just like a girlfriend would do if the woman the man is dating somebody that she may not care for that much and may say hell I can take it he's mine and this is what you may be dealing with fellas this is the reason why you have to observe the kind of relationship you get into if she's a permissive parent and her daughter's sitting on your lap and flirting with you and all that shit she should be the one the mom should be the one to stop that shit not even allow it to happen but if the mom does and she's putting a burden of your discipline in order to not mess around, you need to kick that girl off your shoulder, kick her off your knee, and get the fuck out of there. I'm telling you. Because she's going to defend her daughter. And you're going to be the bad guy. In this case, sir, you fucked up by letting all those people in your house. The reason why people move out by themselves is because they don't want to be told what to do by others. That's what it comes down to. They have their own space, their own autonomy, and you hear them talk about, oh, I want to walk around the house naked. But it's not even that. They want to have their own thoughts.
but it all starts with a simple beginning. And that simple beginning is you have to determine who's going to be in your life and what for what purpose. You know, I had a friend of mine that would always say people should be used but not abused. Under the capitalist system, that makes a lot of sense. Under any system, as a matter of fact, that makes sense. People being used for the benefit of the common good of society. You're used every time you go to work. You're used every time someone's asking you to pray for them. You're used in every capacity you could think of when you're interacting with another person. Sometimes, oh, let's go to the movies. May be used for the movies, but you may be used for the companionship. It's the abuse is when the problem actually comes in. You hear a lot of people say, Well, you know, he used me for money. No, he abused you for money. It's a softer way of saying you were abused. Emotionally used by a guy. No, you're emotionally abused by him. And these are the same people that will say that they're okay, they, they got over it, and they haven't. Because they masked the very definition of what they did or what was done to them in a positive light that made them feel better. they wanted to do after that, that after getting that promotion they wanted to kill the project because they were afraid that it was going to fail and it would make them look bad but they weren't going to take back the promotion but what were they going to do make the project a pariah blame it on the IT department could have been a fucked up concept from the beginning but they used that opportunity and we were abused person's benefit to get promoted. That's the way it goes. But we were used in the context of going to work and working on the project and them paying us. We're being used for our time and compensated for it. 
I would like to personally thank you for listening to Romantic Truth. You may follow us on Facebook.com backslash Romantic Truth. You may ask your friends to subscribe to Anchor.fm backslash Romantic Truth. Or you can leave us a message at Anchor.fm backslash Romantic Truth backslash message. You may contact us through email at RomanticTruthPodcast at gmail.com. Take care. Romantic Truth would like to take this opportunity and applaud our listeners and over 40 countries for their support. If you need someone to talk to in regards to help, you may contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255, available 24 hours. All correspondences read on the show have been pre-screened and pre-approved by the submitter to be aired on the show. The views and opinions of this podcast does not reflect those of Romantic Truth, Anchor, Spotify, or any of its affiliates. The opinions expressed are solely those of the host and guests, and should not be deemed as professional guidance, advice, or a professional practice. In the event you may need professional assistance, contact your local federal, state, or county agencies for specific assistance in social services, family counseling, or mental health services. For all medical, legal, and financial services please contact the appropriate licensed and certified professionals within your region. The music that is provided on this podcast that is not provided by Anchor is used under waiver by Jaws and One Music for fair use. Please be advised that the content of this podcast is under copyright by Romantic Truth and James Adams.